welcome along to our very first live green light podcast this is so exciting and um, to have everyone here as well but to also just be live and actually like there are other humans around it's like it's wild so um we've two or three hosts here today um i'm caroline west and i'm joined by my fabulous co-host alex how are you? Hi, yeah. Alex Black from the Active Consent team. So this is our first ever live podcast for Greenlight coming to you from uh, NUI Galway Students Union Consent Week. So we're having a fantastic week, uh, chock full of fantastic events around sexual health and consent in particular, which is why we've brought our fabulous guests in today. And um, so we've got Shauna Scott from Sex Shoppa. Queen um, of the vibrator. Exactly, the vibrator <laughs> queen. Um, Amasha Costa, who is the consent officer for UCC FEMSOC. And Queen we of Cork. Have- <laughs> Cork. And we also have Robbie Lawler, who is a HIV activist, a postdoctoral candidate, and I think many things. Whenever I was writing your bio for this, Robbie, you had you wear quite a lot of hats. Thanks. <laughs> very stylish hats, though, we have to say. So very, very nice. Um, you're all absolute legends and we're all absolutely like so grateful to have you here because I think it's a really nice mix of learning about consent because you all are coming from extremely different backgrounds. I mean, Shauna, your your formative years would have been in America. Um, Amasha, you were talking to me earlier about Bollywood, which I'm super excited um, to learn a lot more about. Um, Robbie, you may or may not have, have been a queer at a young age, um, you know, before you discovered yourself so that's going to be really interesting but as as a, as a man that's going to be really interesting to see all the different viewpoints um where everyone's coming from so what we have talked about in the podcast was like those formative moments when we realize actually like pop culture has a lot to say about sex and you you know sometimes you're singing along to a song and you're like oh oh these lyrics are like really about sex oh I did not realize that and I was singing that out loud around my parents so cringe moment um do you any of you have any of those particular moments where you kind of realized oh this song or this film or this movie is actually speaking to me on a very different kind of sexy level that it didn't do before I'm actually going to go to Amasha first on that one tell us about Bollywood and Sri Lankan culture Oh my God, Caroline, you put me on the spot here. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> um, so, um, um, if you, um, if you don't know, I grew up in a very South Asian household. So my dad's Bangladeshi, my mom's Sri Lankan, but I grew up with like South Asian kind of like films, soap operas. My mom lived for like Sri Lankan soap operas. It was like the highlight of the day every time I came back from school. Grew up on Bollywood music and like. Um, films and stuff and I think it's just very interesting because I also realized I was queer at like 12 watching Bollywood <laughs> it is it is very interesting because I was um it, it it was just a moment when I witnessed my first like queer relationship on tv in Bollywood and I was like wait South Asian women are can be queer like you know this whole idea that like because in such a patriarchal society, which is the, which is very present in South Asian communities, it's always been like, oh, it's just a ma- like a relationship between a man and a woman. Like, you know, then you get married and that sort of like, it's just chaotic. But like for me to be able to see two women being together on Bollywood TV, I was just like, oh, my God, I actually... I can be with a woman, like you know, um, but it's just very interesting because Bollywood 
really, really uh, shaped um, my idea of thinking of what a woman could had to be and what consent really was. And it was nothing, absolutely nothing to what I know now about consent, which I think has really vastly changed. Um, and like, it's just, I, I have like, I have no words, but I'm once again on the spot, but sure look, we can do this. Um, <laughs> And I think it's just very interesting because the way that consent is depicted in Bollywood is that women have no opinions over their own bodies and that it's always the man who decides whether he wants to like, you know, to do what he wants to do basically. And women have no voice in it. And that was what I grew up with. And it was a really, really bad like aspect of about like talking about consent and talking about sex and I thought it was just really horrific now that I look back at it but at the time when you grow up in that household you're just like right so that's what it's meant to be you know so yeah that's so interesting Amasha because I think a lot of people in Ireland as well can kind of relate to I don't think like I don't think I heard the word consent until maybe after college I certainly wasn't getting consent workshops in college and especially in Ireland I think people often forget how quick our kind of social um, change has happened even since the 90s and even the kind of hangover that we have for Catholicism mm-hmm. and that kind of thing mm-hmm. so the social change has been so fast that I think people often forget that actually we didn't grow up with these values even like quite young people I'd be interested Robbie growing up as like a young gay man in Ireland what were maybe your more formative experiences of what you saw represented on TV and maybe even about your own identity and what the messages you were getting were um, I always say I had an idyllic childhood, but actually looking back, you know, there were really problematic things that happened in my childhood. And one of them was like, my mom raised five kids on her own. She's like a superhero. We love her. I come from a really rough estate in Kondokan, you know, like a really, really working class. And I was always told growing up, if you turn out gay, we're going to beat you up. Well, I was fed up anyways, but I was always, always told that by my brothers, by everyone. It was just what it was. And uh, slurs were thrown around left, right and centre. And so I really repressed my sexuality. I didn't come out till I was 18. It wasn't until I put my penis in a vagina, I was like, I'm gay. Honestly, <laughs> that was the moment <laughs> for me. I admitted to myself I was gay. <laughs> I know. That, that, that poor, poor girl, oh, Jesus. I know, I, I didn't say it's worth. <laughs> okay, good, good. In the moment being like, you know what? I think yeah. Thank you very much for your time, but no. I know, oh and she's so lovely, like we still talk and she's happily married now and uh, her life, so I didn't traumatize her too much. Um, but actually, um, it's really interesting and what was really formative for me and it was actually Will and Grace. Um, which was uh, first cast in 1996, uh, 1998 actually, I believe. And it was the first primetime TV show with uh, the lead characters were gay. And I always had such a crush on Will Truman. Like he was my first ever crush. But I had to balance it out with, well, I'm not gay, but I fancy the whole lot of this person. I watch him all the time. So it was really interesting what repression can do because I couldn't admit to myself that I fancied him, but I wouldn't, couldn't stop looking at him. But anyways, uh, a few years later, when I eventually did come out at 18, I remember in 1920, I was like, I kind of miss being in front of a TV saying, oh, oh, he's gorgeous. And it's such a small thing, but just being able to say that and from family for me was quite big. I remember saying to myself, 
why not just do it in front of your mom and get Gates' reaction? Because she was fine. It's just something we didn't really talk about. And then Will came up on Will and Grace. Like, this is my perfect opportunity. I was like, Ma, I fancied Will for years. And she's like, why wouldn't you? He's fucking gorgeous. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Will and Grace has had a really big part in my heart. And Will too. But yeah, so, so that was really formative. Um, it really challenged my uh, belief system about you know, fancying something that for me was uh, out of bounds. And mm -hmm. I think uh, good old Will helped me come to terms. Will and a vagina. <laughs> and never the two shall meet in the middle. <laughs> Definitely not. I think, I think Will's story was quite similar, actually, that he had, it wasn't it that he was with Grace and then he realized, no, I'm sorry, I'm actually quite gay. Oh my God, maybe I just see so much of myself in them. That's why I really like your cipher. Because I remember Will and Grace was one of those TV shows that'd be on in the morning. I think it was a Channel 4 real mm -hmm. early. So if you woke up early on a Saturday, you'd be watching that or like Frasier. So I actually remember, I have way more memories of watching Will and Grace than I realized as a child, <laughs> as a teenager. That's um, mad. And, and yeah, the reboot didn't... Um live up to any good expectations but we will not mention that we won't we'll we'll, we'll move on from there sure. so um Shana what about yourself then you know you're grown up in the states uh, which is uh, the states is its own world like it's so vast and so many different experiences there but you know you, you're probably watching the same tv stuff as us yeah vastly like pretty much like the the same as as ireland like all, got all the same tv shows um i think for me like one of my earliest memories i was actually telling a friend this recently that like when i was four who framed roger rabbit came out and Oh my God, I'm such a fucking cliche. Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was like this, that moment, that opening scene where we're like, she comes out on stage and you could just like feel her raw sexual power. Even as a young, young child, I knew what that, I just intrinsically knew what that was and like what that power meant. And then similarly, like, didn't understand my feelings towards her I'm like I want to be her but then like later on being like do I want to be her or do I want to be with her and it and funnily funny you should mention Will and Grace because I kind of had similar feelings about Karen like he was your crush <laughs> yeah but it was but it was weird because like okay this is a straight woman I'm straight and it was like one of those things where like you couldn't really I couldn't really parse out because I think at the time I there wasn't really language around like being a, a quote unquote straight girl having a crush on a straight woman um because and and also like at that time cuz I like you people are too young to remember but there was a time back in the day back in like the late 90s early 2000s where like if you self-identified as bisexual we didn't have pansexual everybody you were either gay straight or bi and if you were bi you were just doing it for attention especially if you were a girl so um very much like I would have these moments where I'd be like laying in bed at night just thinking to myself you're bi, you're bi, but then never coming out, never saying it. I, I couldn't even say the words out loud to myself because that would mean that I had like notions about myself. Um, so that was interesting, like having, but then like a little bit later after I graduated high school, the idea of having like, oh, you have a girl crush kind of thing was more socially acceptable for people who were 
straight. Um, so you could like joke about having like a girl crush and that was totally fine. Um, and then I ended up coming out as bi like in my mid twenties. That's so interesting. Just one thing that you're talking about that kind of, you know, bi erasure and it's something that exists not only kind of in, not to say the straight community and the LGBT community, but like bi people and bi women in particular face so much erasure and so much of that self-doubt that so many queer women, like they don't even bother coming out because they're kind of like, oh, maybe I'm just doing it for attention. I had such an interesting experience where um, growing up, I was like, I don't know if anyone else was really emo, but basically everyone was saying that they were bi when I was 14 and 15 or whatever. I was really emo and we were almost so accepting of it that I remember being like, guys come on like there's people that are actually bi and like I think we're all being a little bit flippant about this but it's so funny how like depending on the community that you grow up in maybe the kind of attitudes you have towards that and something I love that you mentioned Jessica Rabbit and you know what cliche but it's a classic for a reason and there's people dressing up as Jessica Rabbit to these days for for a reason one thing we spoke about actually in our first podcast and I'm sure I don't know if anyone remembers this I did see a TikTok about it recently, so I know it was formative for other people, but who remembers um, in Aladdin, Jasmine as Jafar's like sexy prisoner? Mm-hmm. Amasha reacted immediately, so I'd love your take on that. Um, <laughs> I grew up on too much Disney, and I will say Jasmine and Robin Hood. <laughs> Those were your icons. Those were my icons. I... I as a child the fact that I was attracted to cartoons but the the thing is that they draw them really sexy and like Anna Kendrick I remember watching an interview of her talking about being attracted to them and I was just like that 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 does not seem right (laughs) but like I really I, I really remember because like bearing in mind a South Asian household a Middle Eastern culture and then there was Jasmine and she was this gorgeous human being and I was like she looks pretty I want to be here or I want to be with her so <laughs> Aladdin he is just like you know a dirtbag he doesn't deserve the love <laughs> and he wasn't that great either like Aladdin he, he wasn't he was a street rat let's just yeah we, we, oh, no. we'll be he dentist. had street smart but the great the, really the wild thing about that is looking back at it and the whole like she's Jafar's sexy prisoner thing and like watching that as a child, I remember being like, something's happening here. Like Jasmine's in her in her red suit and her red brand. She's trapped. And it's kind of funny when you look back at cartoons, the like very low key, like Dom vibes that are happening, that suddenly she's Jafar's sexy prisoner. And I'm like, this is a kid's TV show. What are they trying to tell us? And that kind of, um, it's not even, it's just funny how it's the kind of non-consensual aspect of it. And yeah. it's a very interesting message that they're throwing this in like oh it's against her will and Jafar is trying to marry her to get power and I'm like okay lots of interesting mixed messages that we're giving to kids here mm, yeah hmm. a little problematic on some levels but still fun but I want to go to Robbie on this do you remember the British tv show Queer as Folk because I loved watching that and that was the original not the American version now the original British one and that was like you know gay men in Manchester and I was like oh this is like that's probably the first time I realized there's a whole world out there like a community like people organize communities around their sexuality and and their gender and I thought that's a thing like we can actually do that that's wild so did you watch that growing up I never watched that I think again that was in around 1999 and it was aired now I was born in 1991 so I was eight 
And I was so impressed then. And because it was, it was a lot of sexual content, which was amazing. But for me, I think it would have been a bit too much. I think that's why the soft coreness of Will and Grace was an easy transition, especially for eight-year-old Robbie. So I never did. But um, I, I realized how uh, profound that was for many queer people of its time. Like Morris, my partner, would always go back and talk about it. And um, just it was a sexual awakening for so many people, um, young queer kids at the time. So I do, uh, I do see the power in it. Um, if we talk about Russell T. Davis, who made uh, Queer as Folk, though, you know, uh, he also created something recently, which is It's a Sin last year, which was like the most watched show, I think, on British TV of 2021, which was just for me mind blowing as someone who lives with HIV. Um, and if you don't mind me talking about it now, actually, I just realized I completely just changed your topic. Floor is <laughs> yours. Um, <laughs> why is it so important for me? Well, for one, I actually didn't want to watch it initially because I'm sick of white gay men dying of AIDS being the only representation of HIV in pop culture. Like, come on. Like, God forbid if you're a woman living with HIV, you don't even get a look in. And um, as someone who also does sexual health uh, and uh, works in HIV and is with HIV, I'm just so sick of also looking at everything so depressing about HIV. <laughs> so I was like, nah, I'm good. But then Jennifer Semprelli was like, Robbie, come on tomorrow, we're going to talk about it to sin. So I was like, okay. So I had to watch the five episodes in like, I was traumatized. But anyways, what I loved about it was, although it was white gay men dying of AIDS, um, it brought humanity around living with HIV. I also was very unapologetic around the sexual content as well, which was amazing because normally sex is this horrible thing when it comes to HIV and AIDS, but it was actually shown just how um, in, um, an integral part of our community was, and it was still celebrated even throughout the show. Um, so I thought that was really, really good. I do think it has its, its, its down pitfalls. Um, for one, so many people don't know anything about HIV, like at all. So the fact that this is the most watched show of the time and they get no idea what it's like to live with HIV today when the medical advancements is huge. Even at the end, if they talked about what U equals U means, that people live with HIV can't pass it on. Just a little message at the end. That's all I was looking for. But unfortunately, the whole community had to kind of fill that gap that the show didn't. And that was exhausting on all of us. Um, one amazing thing it was done was I got Nathaniel Hall on, who was the partner of um, Ollie Alexander, who unfortunately lied about in the show. But he actually lives openly with HIV. And he's done a lot of great activism. So he got bombarded by so much so, uh, media outlets to kind of tell his story and to fill that gap. So it was amazing. It just shows the importance of representation and uh, having people going through the lived experiences representing their stories and their history. So, uh, so many good things. I think uh, he could have gone that little bit extra in terms of representation, get more positive people on. Um, but, and a little bit more education. But um, again, Jennifer Zamprelli asked me to be on. And because I went on Jennifer Zamprelli, then I went into Tommy Ternan because the booker is the same or similar. And then that got you loads of people to talk with you, Guju. So um, going from Queer as Folk, it was really, really formative for the years. And I'm so happy that, you know, he still did revisit the lives of uh, white gay men dying of AIDS. We're wiped out and the stories still need to be told. Um, and I think it opened up the floodgates for a conversation around HIV again today. Um, but I do think more representation is needed of stories. I think the shows like Pose are incredible and everyone should watch them um for more representation of different communities affected by HIV so um yeah Russell T Davis for a patron he's done a lot for the community and for HIV starting conversations at times when conversations didn't want to be started 
He really, really has, yeah. And well, well, to go to Shauna on that one, like that that ripple effect that Robbie's talking about and that starting conversation, like we would have seen in Sex in the City in the nineties when the rampant rampant rabbit um really became a thing as like one of the first few sex toys like to be shown on TV and it was used in this lovely, lovely positive way. So, um, Queen of Vibrators, you know, do you think that like that how? I suppose like any good pop culture references to vibrators and and that kind of just unabashed joy of masturbation out there. Yeah, um, like one that immediately springs to mind is Grace and Frankie because they that was like literally the main plot line of season two. They're starting a vibrator business and not just like a vibrator business. It's like they're addressing um, sex and aging. They're addressing like disability, talking about like making it um, good for people with arthritis, having a grip on, on the handle that's like good for people with arthritis. So like that immediately sprung to mind. Um, I think oftentimes we talk about like vibrators a whole lot and nothing else. And so one example I, I thought of that I really just loved. And when I saw it just started screaming was the, the episode of Broad City where Abby like pegs the guy that she's sleeping with. Um, uh, this to my memory was the first time I ever um, heard or saw anyone on television or any like anyone talking about pegging outside of like Dan Savage's podcast. Um, I was just beside myself with with joy that like that was something that could be like talked about on TV and it was done in a really positive way she wasn't shaming him for being into that um she was just like oh fuck I don't know what to do and so like ran to the bathroom to like ring Alana and Alana was just like so excited that she got to experience is about to be able to experience something that she's always wanted to like that was like the holy grail for her um so it was it was handled in such a, um, a wonderfully positive way. Um, the, the, yeah, I just, you don't, you don't see many examples of, and when we talk about like celebrity and like the recent barrage of celebrity endorsements of like sex toys. So you have like, you know, Lily Allen for womanizer, Cardi B, um, Cara Delevingne is, is, like repping a brand who else do I have here Dakota Johnson Gwyneth Paltrow like everyone is repping vibrators now and you don't see many celebrities if any repping any other type of sex toy um so I think there's still like some stigma attached to like butt plugs and dildos and masturbation sleeves that I think need to I don't know we need to we need to work on we need to step up our game if we can talk about pegging on on Comedy Central, we can we can definitely talk about you know have have celebrities like rep a wider variety of sex toys. I think absolutely, and that's something we um we one thing that we really love and that we've talked about before in the past in the past, especially on our active consent social media, is um Masturbation Week or Masturbation Month. If no one's aware, May is Masturbation Month, and we've always thought of like it's amazing that we have an entire month for it, even though you know it should be every month. But the idea that if you know what you like and if you know your own body, it's so much easier then to tell your partner what you like and also what you don't like. Mm. And that is really vital whenever it comes to actually communicating consent and practicing consent in relationships because it's much it's as much about what you really like as much as what it is about what you don't like. And I think especially growing up, I think especially as young uh, women, you're kind of brought up like with TV and music and films and all these different sorts of things. You kind of get the message that sex isn't for you. 
And it's amazing that, yeah, that we have so many female celebrity vibrator endorsements. Although, as, as you've said, Sean, it would be great to have a few more brighten or broaden the field a bit. But that like that did not exist whenever I was uh, young, whenever I was a teenager, just no one talked about it. It was like, girls don't speak about masturbating. What are you saying? Like there's you got endless jokes in films about guys masturbating. You've got like American Pie but we didn't really have the female equivalent to see. So it's kind of, it's really interesting now and very good to see how it's flipped. For sure. I think like, well, let's get Robbie in on that then as well. Cause like those sex toy endorsements and stuff, they're really for straight women a lot of the time. Like that's their target audience. So like, where's, where's all the queer male sex toys out there, Robbie? Tell us, tell us, um, you know, what you're going to do to change that world. <laughs> Oh God, <laughs> um, I wish I could change the world. Uh, the, the only thing that reason why we go into sex, uh, like sex shops online, would we get good lube, essentially, you know, we wouldn't really go outside of that, me or Morris. I had this really bad sex tie experience, <laughs> to be honest, that traumatized the hell out of me. But I think it traumatized me because I didn't know how to use it properly. <laughs> And uh, maybe, I don't know how explicit this podcast is, maybe this is one for a point afterwards or something, but uh, I don't know if I'm the best ambassador for uh, sex ties. But I actually think me and my fella just reached the eight year part of our relationship now. I think it's, well, I think it's well past time that we can like spice it up for sex ties and see what happens uh, for whatever does need uh, sex ties. But you're right, representation and um, visibility of even hair and gay men using um, sex ties other than in porn, which is what we see most, uh, could be super powerful. And I think we do need to see more of. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And what about you, Masha? Like, as, does Bollywood feature sex toys? I'm going to guess that the answer is no. Um, unfortunately not. Um, like, I, I was, I did not even own my first sex toy till like a few months ago and I got it off Sex Shop app, but my sex press editor for the, oh yeah, my sex press editor for the University Express helped me buy my first sex toy because I had no clue what was going on. I did not know where to start. I did not know who to reach out to, but she was, she literally helped me choose what I like and be like, this might work for you, this, and I love it. It's just the best thing I have and the best thing I own. But like growing up, sex toys were big taboos. Like you can't talk about them. Masturbation doesn't exist. Women were not allowed to feel pleasure and, and not allowed to like make themselves feel pleasure, which I thought was weird because I discovered masturbation when I was like 14, 15 maybe. And I was just like, this is really cool. But like, it's not really like, like I couldn't talk about it with my mom. I couldn't talk about it with my friends because it was just such a closed off community to towards masturbation and sex toys. And I was just like, it wasn't even shown in my, like, what's the word? In my, in my pop culture growing up, it wasn't visible at all. And I was just like, but now I'm just like living. So, yeah. And mm. um, what, that's fantastic. I love it that you're living your best life. And um, one thing I wanted to touch on is that we've talked a lot about kind of our formative experiences. But we've been really spoiled during the pandemic somehow that we've gotten quite some really good TV and also some really interesting nuanced examples of sex and consent and non-consent in particular. And I wanted to throw in if anyone had watched um, I May Destroy You because it's just, I thought it was such a fantastic example of some 
examples that we don't really see often. So we've got stealthing, which for anyone that doesn't know is when someone intentionally removes a condom during sex without telling their partner. So an example that a lot of people might have experienced not knowing that it actually is assault. And also um, it showed us a gay male character as well that was experiencing um, non-consent and how they kind of recovered from that. And I thought it brought up so many, you know, really nuanced examples. And I was wondering, did we have anyone, any thoughts on it? I remember I watched I Made the Story You last last year and I did a whole essay for one of my modules because I thought it was such an impactful TV show and I Made the Story You literally destroyed me inside because um, I felt like it was such an important topic that um, that was shown on tv and it's not every day that you see someone a survivor telling their story on tv and trying to go through that process of like recovering from that trauma getting involved with the with the police and stuff like that and and it's it's just such a great representation and Michaela Cohn is fabulous and I and I loved that tv show so much and I loved that it was it was not just using that same cisgender white person's story but rather also using a story of a person of color because you rarely see those representations on tv let alone like a person of color talking about being a survivor and i thought that was very important for the general community so that those were my thoughts on that really important to have that representation out there. and the fact that Michaela Cohn wrote it as well so it's not her words being filtered through somebody else like and specifically like you know a lot of people who make these shows are, are cis white men or cis white women so it's really important that she actually created that and had that power to have her words be represented as she intended them to be so that's super powerful so what about yourself Robbie did do you have any thoughts there yeah, it's just still breaks my heart because I actually know two people who got HIV through stelting, both a man and a woman. Um, God. And it's a shame they feel yeah. like even now I know they have such a hard time and they're the loveliest people in the world. And there's so much shame as if one, they didn't see it as sexual assault. Well, because one, the thing is they didn't know they have HIV for a while after, do you know what I mean? Because you never never experienced, didn't know, um, I didn't really know what was happening at the time, debate themselves for being drunk. Um, all of these different things. It's a very real thing that does happen. And um, when you have that, like, and compound that with HIV diagnosis and all the shame that kind of comes with that, um, I, I just want to say to people, you know, that it's, a, it's not your fault for being stealthed. You can never be too drunk or too high or whatever. You don't deserve that. That is sexual assault and uh, acknowledge it as so. Um, and don't beat yourself up for, I should have done this, I should have done that. You know, this person had intent stealthing um, and they didn't tell you. So it is an assault. And just to really just kind of talk to people who you know you can trust to share this with, because again, shame can make you hold these things inside. And um, I certainly know when it comes to HIV, the worst thing we can do is keep it secret and to hide things, bottle them up. That can be almost as no, it is as harmful as the virus that's untreated. So um, mm. uh, I, I would say reach out to people and just acknowledge that you, you're not a problem here, that, um, that this does happen and that you are a victim of assault. Um, and so it's, there's not so many um, uh, services out there as well to reach out to. If you want to talk about any of the HIV services, get in contact with me. But HIV Ireland's a great one and they do a lot of counselling support. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really um, 
fantastic point like people really struggle with being victims of sexual violence and um naming it as well and and for us as viewers to name what we're seeing on screen and stuff and I know um Shauna you had a lot of thoughts about that film The Piano before and um that was like viewed as like this Oscar winning you know film it was like really I think it won a whole range of awards I'm pretty sure um but that deals with some very uncomfortable topics like in the same thread as Robbie is saying yeah, I have a I have a really complicated relationship with the film The Piano because I love it to my core. I love that film so much. Um and I like I think it has a lot going for it. Um and yet it's like the the core central premise is about a woman trying to get her piano back by way of like acquiescing to a man's like romantic and sexual like exploitation of her and um and yeah and it's I'm trying sorry I'm like I'm trying to gather my thoughts on it because it like it is like it is like it's so complicated and so complex and when you like look back on it and it and it's funny like I I didn't see that film until in like I think the last couple of years was like the first time I saw that film and I was like I this is wrong this is really wrong and it it was uh, produced by Miramax, which was Harvey Weinstein's um, baby. Like that was his, like that film was his baby. Um, so it just adds an extra layer of ick to it. And yet it's just like such beautiful performances um, by Holly Hunter and like Harvey Keitel and Sam Neill um, and exploring. And I think like oftentimes um, when things are set in like a historical context, um, it gives a lot of, uh, people make a lot of excuses for it. It's like, well, that's just the way it was back then. But it's also being held up as like almost um, a sort of like romantic fantasy ideal. And and I have to like remind myself that it's it's not necessarily any any one story or any one film, but the totality of like misogyny and um, and rape culture that that is like the the main core problem. One thing I thought was really interesting about the film, um, there's there's one scene in particular where uh, the, the little girl um, who's played by Anna Paquin and uh, is hanging out with all of the Maori children. It takes place in New Zealand and. Um, they're replicating what she saw her mom doing (laughs) with Harvey Keitel. And so they're like grinding up against trees and all the Maori parents are just like, that's just what kids do. Like, like thinking it was just, you know, just natural. These kids are just playing or whatever. And they're like kissing and making out with like the trees. And then like Sam Neill comes along as like, you know, puritanical colonizer, like, what are you doing? You're like bringing shame to these trees kind of thing and just like drags her away. So I thought it was, um, there was a really interesting kind of conversation happening in that, in that one scene between uh, like puritanical colonizer, like rape culture and um a a very kind of uh, patriarchal view of sexuality versus like, the uh, Maori's like view of sexuality and just like yeah it's it's it is what it is like it's it's natural. I think you're so right Shauna in saying that um you know we can really especially when it comes to film and tv you know we can love these things and still acknowledge maybe the complexities that exist in them. One I saw a post recently about and I I know I'll probably get a lot of flack for this but I've, I've never seen Call Me By Your Name 
but it did bring up how, and I thought this was so interesting that um, you might get a lot more scrutiny on a film that has an age gap romance if it's a heterosexual couple, but people were saying how, and like Call Me By Your Name was such a celebrated film, won so many awards, got so much critical acclaim, everyone shipped um, Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer, but actually it's, you know, that if you like kind of get down to brass tacks, uh, Timothy Chalamet's character is underage and kind of being preyed upon by a much older man. And why do we feel maybe differently or why would we not scrutinize that as much because it's a gay couple? And I was wondering, Robbie, did you have any thoughts on that or any opinions? I found it an extremely weird movie. Like, I, I love that I wanted to go to Italy the following day. It was so beautifully sad. But yeah, just that, like, I, I think in gay culture, it's this thing about daddy and son. Like, it's a real kind of fetish. It's real language you use. Like, it's um, all of these things. And I think it was kind of, like, impersonating that. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I, I did find a weird. I don't, was he 16 or 17? Because in Italy, I think the age of consent is 16 or 17. So I don't know if he was underage technically, but it was like, just the parents are just so cool with it. Do you know what I mean as well? It was just really strange. And I think <clears throat> one of the things I did like about it, that I don't really like a group, I don't like queer movies so much because they're always coming of age movies, always. And I just get bored of them. I'm so sick. I'm like, uh, they're very important stories to tell and so many people get them out but because I've seen them so much and it's the same story over and over this was a kind of coming of age but in a very different way so I appreciated that about it but yeah the, the age difference was a little bit weird the fact that no one blinked an eyelid I'm like maybe it's Italian culture I don't know <laughs> and also it was the 80s like like every everything you can make an excuse for everything if it's set in a historical context yeah exactly <laughs> so that's I, I don't have much thoughts on it except that it's beautifully set but um I do think it does open up this really interesting thing about like how is it problematic or is it just fantasy or is that both about the, the whole daddy son thing do you know and predating and that and because like um like what's the kind of body type and how young is young to, to meet these fantasies and i know in the hetero world this is very much a big thing too but like i feel like over the last few years since this daddy son dynamic has just kind of blown out and i think it's yeah. uh, it's kind of showcased in this movie yeah. Um, I just wanted to touch up on that. Like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that many of you have watched Euphoria, and like, there is that, like, um, the daddy kind of vibes that Cal Jacobs gives, and like how he uses that to um, get with underage um, gay men or transgender men or women and I think it's just very interesting because like it is portrayed in a tv show that is literally like you know show shown now it is like coming out every year as well as renewed for another season and it just also portrays very badly um like consent which I think the fact that it is now like being shown to people younger than us and that they, their understanding of consent would also come out from that it really kind of like highlights like really bad representation of consent and I was just like that just came to my mind when you were saying that there so no yeah. excellent point to have and yeah they, also if we're going to talk about like age gap relationships like licorice pizza came out recently I, I haven't seen it yet um but I I was reading an article by someone who did who was talking about how if it wasn't a big glossy Paul Thomas Anderson film you know would we would we be praising it as much because it like it's it's about a 25 year old woman starting a relationship with a I think he's 15 in the film 
So like, and, and again, like, are we excusing it because the older person is female? That's so true. I've seen similar kind of discourse, especially on TikTok, people talking mm-hmm. about licorice pizza thinking, would we feel as comfortable about this if it was gender flipped and the whole idea of who has the power and just Masha bringing up euphoria there, like I know, spoiler alert for everything we've talked about in this, by the way, but um, Cash, who um, is played by Barbie Ferreira, having, I think it's the first time she actually has sex or some sexual experience she has is with a guy in his 20s and she's maybe only 15 or 16. And it's meant to be portrayed as quite powerful. Afterwards, he asks her, did you come? And she says, no. And she walks off like a badass. And it's kind of meant to be portrayed as really powerful, but it's like, no, because she's still underage. She's still much younger. She doesn't actually have the power there. And to kind of glamorize that in a way is kind of irresponsible when you know that you have a young audience watching this. Mm -hmm. It it is a very glamorized show. Like even the relationship with Nate and Cassie, Nate and Maddie, it just allows like younger people to visualize and glamorize oh him being this bad boy that is violent all the time is the bad boy that I want which really isn't what should be portrayed I I know Euphoria is like trying to write the truth as well but at the same time it's just not a great show especially for younger viewers so yeah well something that was accused of corrupting the youth and we have to save the children were two of my favorite songs from the past a while and that was um cardi b and megan wap and little nas x and where he gives a lap dance to satan so everyone's like oh my god think of the children but like actually these were like really powerful songs to have you know and especially like let's talk about cardi b first like like wap people should know what that stands for by now um it's what yeah it's not well what do they dub it as on youtube uh macaroni in a pot that's i think that was the like radio friendly uh dubbing that they could do on it but like that was really powerful and actually like spawned a million conversations about female sexual pleasure and enjoyment and what to do if things aren't working and lube and all these kind of things shauna did you see a spike in like lube and toys after that show came out or that song (laughs) (laughs) after that show came out um not not specifically the the one memory I have of that time period of like when that song just like the weekend the song just exploded um Kylie Minogue released a single and like every there was like a few people on Twitter who were just like oh my god I feel so sorry for like Kylie because her song was really good too but it wasn't WAP um so it just got completely eclipsed um but I don't think I saw any like massive spike in sales but yeah it just amazing how it just completely just took over everyone's brains for years <laughs> one thing I think was so important about WAP as well is that for you know one message I think especially a lot of young girls get is that they should be quote-unquote tight when in fact that is probably a sign that maybe your partner is not their bodies ready they're not aroused they're not ready and now we've got this chart topping song that you can barely play on daytime radio because there's so much profanity in it talking about no you want to be as wet as humanly possible <laughs> like what an amazing message oh god and how hot are they like jesus christ is beautiful my god but the lyrics are great for example hop on top i want to ride i do a kegel while it's inside <laughs> But in my mouth, look at my eyes, this pussy is wet, come take a drive. Like, can we just say, like, this is women taking control. This is their pleasure. They're saying exactly what they want. Like, how many women do you see in pop culture saying spit in my mouth? (laughs) Because they want it gorgeous. 
it's beautiful it's poetry I think it's amazing I think it's really really um you know a game changer really for female sexuality it really just goes that extra mile than what you see as female sexuality portrayed in it. and it, they're doing it on their own terms which for me is just incredible like it's just beautiful and when we've got Oh, oh, sorry, go on, good. No, I was just going to say, and what did you think of um, Little Nas X's lap dance with Satan, oh, Ben? Can you believe they came out in the same year? Just a few months apart. I was so happy. Um, oh, I loved it. And I loved the, what happened afterwards. Just like the moral panic that happened afterwards. It's kind of reminiscent. I didn't live around the time, but it reminded me of the moral panic um, around this um, uh, like mixing of religion and sexuality, like Madonna's uh, Like a Prayer did. Kind of, do you know what I mean? You know, like everyone's going crazy. But I love, I love it because uh, Little Nas said, who I used to call Little Nace, by the way, which was really embarrassing. I genuinely thought. Yeah, that same. Was- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little Nace ball. But um, yeah, no, he, uh, my, my, my niece hated me for saying it. Um, he said, you know, I was also told growing up as a queer black kid in the States that if I was gay, I was going to go to hell. So what did he do? He literally... Put on tie-high boots, he kissed this snake that was played by himself. Um, He was in this Garden of Eden-esque. He was killed by loads of butt plugs on Judgment Day. He was sent down to hell on a stripper's pole, and then he gave the devil a lap dance. And not only that, he killed the devil, put on his horns, and became the devil. I'm like, you just can't get more iconic than that giving the devil a lap dance and it just shows you're going to go to hell that's where the fun's at that's so true um one comment we've gotten in the chat someone said that a weekend a weekend a film from 2011 was one of the first films that they saw depicting a queer romance and uh colin says i loved it but like so many queer films their relationship is depicted in a really harrowing way like a lot of queer media unfortunately and that's why it's so important that we have people like little nas x who are actually so unapologetically owning their sexuality is and in such a mainstream way and taking a lot of those negative messages and saying actually I'm going to flip these in their head because this is so true and it's such a to the point where it's a trope like has anyone heard of the kill your gays trope about how in so much media and if, if anyone remembers um Tara and Willow and Buffy an iconic lesbian couple from the 90s how someone will die basically and you've even seen it in is it Haunting of Hell House or is it Haunting a Blind Man, there was a there's a lesbian couple, and I'm pretty sure, spoiler alert, they both end up dead in the end. And how so many films and TV shows that depict queer romance, it's often historical, someone usually has to die at the end, and it's always really, really bleak. So the positive examples that we can get are so important. Mm. But, but like on that note, like that, yeah, that positive joy, like queer joy and, and just straight joy and all the joy, all the sex joy, like what do you think growing up would have been like if you had all those lovely lovely examples of like lovely positive consensual encounters lovely sex positive things and I suppose we'll use that as our last question as we as we go to wrap up so I want to go to Amasha I mean if you could design like a queer sex positive consensual Bollywood movie like I would watch that all day long I would as well, and I won't have to come out to my mom for the fourth time again. Um, <laughs> oh no, it's it's constant. Every year I have to come out to her because she's just like, "What is queer?" And I'm, uh, it's just this, this whole process because like it's not represented in Bollywood or in Sri Lankan soap operas that she watches every single day very well, and like it's just represented as taboos and stuff but like 
there are so many amazing queer activists that are in Sri Lanka and are coming out with like we need to see more of this in our in our own pop culture and stuff that we are growing up with and we shouldn't be shaming women for wanting to express their sexuality and I think that's very important and I would love to see that in Bollywood and I would love to see that in Sri Lankan soap operas but like and I and I think Bollywood is doing that slowly it's taking its time it is taking its time but it is doing it slowly enough um with especially they decriminalize being gay in India which I think is fantastic because it it wasn't something that was like being gay wasn't allowed in India but still they still represented queer women on TV which I was just like that is very like it contrasts each other but now like I feel like South Asia is really really like you know becoming more open and allowing more people to come out as queer and to allow more activists queer activists in South Asia and I love to see it and it's just fantastic so yeah and what about yourself Shauna if you could design lovely positive cultural experiences what would you do I really want to see more queer Irish media. Just give it, give it all to me. Like love Dairy Girls. Dairy Girls is great. Are we going to see Nicola Coughlin with a girlfriend? Like in season three? I, I, I fucking hope so. <laughs> I think that would be lovely. And, um, and yeah, I, I just, I want to, I want to see more examples of that. Let's, let's make that happen. But also it's very telling that like what the Dairy Girls is channel four, isn't it? Yeah. They're, they're channel four. Yeah. So RT, come on, get, give us the queer media desperately crave. <laughs> and Robbie, what about yourself? I want to see more poswaps. <laughs> That's what I want to see. Uh, so basically, uh, I would love to see people living with HIV talk openly about their experiences and how they regained their sexual being, how they regained their sexual self. Um, there's this sexual revolution happening around the world and I actually think people living with HIV shouldn't be at the back trying to catch up. I think they should be at the forefront because when you live with HIV, your, your, your sexual your confidence is through the floor. You never think anyone want to touch you again. You think you're quote unquote dirty. But what I've seen about people, regardless of gender or sexuality, um, is regain their sexual self, an idea of themselves around communication and desire, shame. And from uh, at the beginning of all section of all uh, partnerships, these conversations happen. And I think we can just gain so much from that and seeing people who were considered the problem of sex actually be the leaders of what a sexual revolution is. So I would love to see that represented and, and uh, really diversified through the voices of all the people in this country and around the world. And even Robbie, on that point, just while we have a couple of minutes, I'd love to see as well just a bit of diversity in how we even represent HIV, because isn't it true that for the first time, it's actually there's more there's more cases, new cases of HIV among heterosexual couples for the first time than there is with queer or bi men. And that's people still have this idea that it's a queer disease or it's a disease for gay men. And it's not something that really affects straight couples. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know so many people. That's in London, by the way, not so much in Ireland yet, but hopefully we can get there. Um, no, hopefully we can get to zero new HIV infections. <laughs> I love you heteros too. Um, no, but uh, I do think that's super important. I know women living with HIV who come up to me like probably not to be a bad thing, but I thought HIV was a gay thing. 
Mm. Because there's no representation of education, because there's no diversification of this visibility where people can be like, oh, I can get that too. So I do think that's hugely, hugely important. Um, and the conversation needs to happen. We can have these leaders, you know, um, as Amasha was saying, but uh, we need to make society feel safer for these leaders who are budding in this country. I know women who are just at the tip of it and they're going to do it, but they feel like it's becoming safer and safer. But we all have our part to play to make them feel like actually they can do it now. They might get some bad eggs saying it to them, but ultimately the overall support is going to be better for them. So uh, we need to get there. It's a much I've, got, I've got a plan. I think the only way we're going to get like good representation in Ireland on RTE is if we sneak it into a property show. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's the only way we're going to get it in I mean, once we get it into the property shows then we can work on like you know fictional characters and stuff but Dermot Banning hosting we'll get in our <laughs> yeah <theater>. yeah <laughs> that is actually like there's a lot of merit in that idea so yeah hold on <laughs> hold on to that and, and pitch that so um listen you've all been absolute legends I love that the, the content that you've brought forward and I definitely want to go and watch a whole load of things now and listen to a whole load of songs and I'm going to go play some Cardi B after this as well just to get back into it um, where can people find you if they want to follow all the amazing work that you're doing um, we'll start with Shauna there yeah um, you can you can go to my website sexshopa.ie that's S-E-X-S-I-O-P-A dot I'm also on Instagram at sexshopa all one word or if you want to just see me hanging out with my dog on TikTok um, it's more of a personal account than a professional one um, but I'm at like Shauna Shauna S-H-A-W-N-A underscore Scott S-C-O-T-T over on TikTok. Fabulous Robbie. Um, on Twitter, you can get me on Robbie underscore Lawler. On Instagram, you can get me Robbie LWR, I think. And um, if you want to listen to my podcast with a beta lady, it's an iconic uh, podcast. Uh, it's called the Pause Vibe Podcast. And we platform the voices of people living with HIV around this country and around the world. It's very, very fun and insightful. So give it Fantastic. a Fantastic. Well done. And Amasha forgetting you have to unmute so um you can put you can find me on twitter my username is case of burritos as always and um, you can also find the feminist society on instagram twitter and facebook we are the ucc femsoc and you can also find the university express on twitter on instagram and on facebook and we have issues coming out in the next few months um yeah that's where you can find me Fabulous. And I left you to last because you also have a fantastic event coming up the start of March, which Active Consent will be at as well. Oh, yeah, right. I, I completely <laughs> zoned out. I was just like, yeah, we do. So we have Femme Power happening. Woo! So we have Dr. Caroline West coming in with a few podcasts. And we have some amazing, amazing speakers coming in for our two-week conference. We also have an entertainment evening where we are hoping to have a few amazing um, artists come in. We, we will also be having a poetry slam and we will be having an art showcase. And we have some really, really interesting events that I'm really excited for. So I can't say much at the moment. So That's not super can exciting. I just, can I just say, like, I have spoken at Fempower like a couple of years in a row. And it is seriously one of the most like best organized, like just most fun I've, I've ever had at like a university conference. Like you guys do such a good job putting that on. So for anyone who's interested, absolutely. I second that. Go to Fempower. It's amazing. Oh, my Shana, you should come down to Cork. I can come and see Fempower there as well as you, Robbie. So 
Well, myself and Alex will be there anyway. We are going to do a live um, Act of Consent podcast on the Sunday and we'll have a live Glow West podcast on the Saturday. So we're going to be all over your business um, live streaming from there. So that's fantastic. So Alex, where can you find us? We're important too. Where can you find us? You can find um, the Greenlight podcast on consenthub.ie, which is your one-stop shop for all your consent needs. Um, Our new website in partnership with the Department of Justice and the Department of Further and Higher Education. On Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, you can find us at Active Consent. And we're talking about consent every day of the week. And you can find out a lot more info about all the fantastic events happening this week as part of Consent Week with NUIGSU. Fabulous. So if anyone's listening to this and they're in the audience, we are having a live in-person consent workshop tomorrow in NUIG. So do have a look at the NUIG Student Union um, socials. They'll have all the details of it there. And if you're listening to this after it comes out and you've missed that, like, we will we will go to any consent week around the country, you know, like, so please do put something on and we will happily be there. So thanks, Mel, to everyone for listening in. We really do appreciate, um, you know, the, the, the hour that you've given us today. If you've got any value out of this, please do pop over um, and give us a rate and review or follow us again, as Alex said, on our socials and, you know, help us get the word out about the podcast. And thanks, everyone. And we will chat to you next time. Bye.